This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. It's Tuesday, March 31st. Nearly 3,000 Americans have died of COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus, and the number is growing. The Trump administration is finally opening up about the models that have compelled the lockdowns now in place across the country. The predictions differ, but all are grim, forecasting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of deaths. And state unemployment offices are moving to implement the law Congress passed last week to help the unemployed. That's not just the 3.3 million Americans who have already filed jobless claims, but also the untold millions of self-employed people who cannot now earn a living and whom the law allows to claim jobless benefits for the first time ever. CQ Roll Call's Mary Ellen McIntyre will give us an update in a moment on how the government is loosening regulations in order to help hospitals respond. We will also have CQ Roll Call's Bridget Bowman. She spoke to the Kentucky Republican, Thomas Massey, who nearly stopped the more than $2 trillion bill from passing last week. First, we turn to Mary Ellen. Hi, this is Mary Ellen McIntyre, healthcare reporter for CQ Roll Call. On Monday evening, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said that they were going to waive several regulations and restrictions that hospitals and doctors have to contend with as an effort to make it easier for them to treat patients and increase access for patients to get treatment for COVID-19. These are all a variety of many things that CMS said. So one thing that they are allowing hospitals to do is saying they can build up treatment sites outside of their facilities, such as an empty college dormitory, a hotel, a right now closed inpatient rehabilitation center to set up additional spaces where they could either treat coronavirus patients or separate out non-coronavirus patients who might be at risk of getting coronavirus. This will obviously supplement work that FEMA is already doing to build up emergency care centers in cities across the U.S. You might have seen on cable news this week, you know, the Javits Center in New York City was set to open this week as an additional place to get care. CMS is also saying that it'll allow laboratories to go directly to patients' homes to test for COVID-19. And that's important so that older people don't have to, you know, go out to laboratories themselves to get tested, where if they don't have it, they might put themselves at risk for getting the disease by sitting in a waiting room or being a risk to others and giving other people the chance of contracting the virus if they do have it. CMS is also saying that it's going to allow hospitals to offer additional benefits to their medical staff. So that includes providing multiple meals for staff, childcare services, even laundry services, really making it so that healthcare workers, you know, are set to treat patients at this time. And they're also trying to make it easier for doctors to do their jobs. So for example, instead of mandating written orders from doctors, the agency says that it will allow for more verbal offers um, to try to cut down on paperwork and things like that. To help hospitals staff up as they're trying to, you know, increase their number of medical workers, CMS also said that they would allow local private practice physicians and their staffs. Many of those private practices right now are currently closed to try to stop the spread of the virus, to allow those workers to be trained up for temporary employment at a hospital. And they're also allowing medical residents to have more flexibility in what type of treatments they can offer. So really trying to help people staff up. And that's important as 
Healthcare workers are concerned about getting the virus themselves, and hospitals are concerned about having the workforce to treat the large number of patients that are coming in for care. CMS is also lifting even more telehealth restrictions. So this is something that we've talked about previously, but, you know, allowing patients to get care or talk to a doctor via video chat or over the phone, they're lifting more restrictions so that, for example, a doctor could see both a new patient or an established patient over a telehealth services. And in the past, you really have to have had at least one face-to-face meeting with the doctor to get that telehealth service. So trying to make it easier for people to get care without leaving their homes to really focus on keeping people at home as much as possible. The healthcare industry in the last 24 hours has really praised CMS for taking quick action on lifting a lot of these regulations, saying that it will make it easier for them to care for people. Ashish Jha, he is the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. You might have seen him on cable news over the last few weeks. He praised CMS for those actions, and he said on Twitter that not only are these steps going to make it easier to access care for patients and to give patients care, but it also could be a helpful case study in determining could some of these restrictions be lifted permanently? How so? What is the correct way of doing that? So it's an interesting case study, he was saying. The administration also today said that it would allow hospitals or healthcare providers to make the decision to have two patients sharing a ventilator. Um, The administration, in an open letter from the Surgeon General and the Assistant Secretary for Health, really stressed that this is a worst-case scenario, but it comes as hospitals and doctors are saying that, you know, they might have a certain number of patients that all— you know, really need a ventilator and they have to make a decision as to who gets a ventilator because they don't simply have enough to give them to everyone. So they're saying that if you want to, here are some ways that you can go about sharing ventilators between two patients. So maybe you don't have to make quite as drastic of a decision. And this really underscores the desperation that hospitals and healthcare workers are feeling right now as they're trying to just help with an onslaught of COVID-19 cases rising across the country. And as states are warning that they are bracing to run out of ventilators in as soon as a couple of days in some cases. So really what you're seeing here is hospitals and healthcare systems continuing to grapple with how to respond to the surge of cases, figuring out the best ways to go forward at this point. And these are things that we'll be continuing to watch here at CQ Roll Call. So thanks so much. That's all for me today. Last Thursday night, the day before the House vote on its $2.2 trillion coronavirus rescue package, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer sent a desperate message to representatives, begging them to return to the Capitol in spite of the recommendations of public health experts that they stay away. The plan had been to pass the bill by voice vote, so lawmakers would not need to be physically present in the Capitol. But GOP Rep Thomas Massey, a libertarian, and an MIT-trained engineer in his fourth full term representing a northern Kentucky district, said he would demand a quorum, forcing Hoyer to act. Massey failed and became public enemy number one, with even the president weighing in and demanding that he leave the GOP. We turn now to CQ Roll Call's Bridget Bowman, who interviewed Massey for more on why he called for a recorded vote. Mr. Speaker, I came here to make sure our republic doesn't die by unanimous consent in an empty chamber, and I request a recorded vote. A recorded vote is refused. I object on the basis that a quorum is not present and make a point of order that a quorum is not present. 
The chair will count for a quorum. Counted for a quorum. A quorum is present. Bridget Bowman here. So I've been curious about whether Congressman Massey could face any political consequences. So I recently spoke to him and he explained why he tried to force a vote on this bill. I've seen some of your interviews you've done over the weekend, but was curious if you've had any kind of second thoughts given the president's reaction and the news yesterday that Congresswoman Velasquez is, has been diagnosed with a presumed coronavirus infection and she was there on Friday. Um, wondering if you have had any kind of second thoughts about um, Friday. I'll tell you the same thing that I told Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said they would have to assemble a quorum in the chamber and that would uh, endanger everybody. And I reminded her that she wouldn't have to assemble a quorum in the chamber if she would allow a recorded vote. Had they allowed a recorded vote, they would not have had to have a quorum in there. So it was Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy who required the quorum to show up. You, you know, when we vote, we uh, and they even had outlined procedures for this. We were going to vote in shift, and there would, would have been no more than 30 people in the room at a time. And that was the plan if, they, if we were going to take the vote, was to have no more than 30 people at a time. I requested the recorded vote before the quorum call. And, and I made that abundantly clear to Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I can, in fact, I can send you a bootleg picture taken on the floor of me talking to Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy. I was curious to what for what was your reaction when you saw the president's tweets on Friday uh, calling for you to be thrown out of the Republican Party? So I would say this: I support the president, but like me, his supporters do not like this bill, mm-hmm. and his supporters want to see somebody fighting with Nancy Pelosi. And so there, I, I really do think that you know. People will stick with Trump in spite of this bill, but they're not sticking. They're not voting for Trump because of this bill. Mm. And so, the fact that I opposed it doesn't—I don't think—implicate me with the Trump supporters as not being a Trump supporter myself. Mm. I mean, they're—they're they're basically of the same mind. They're looking at this bill. They're seeing there's a lot of. They're seeing that Nancy Pelosi got some of her little earmarks in there, and they're they're wondering why the president himself supports it. Mm-hmm. Now, I I would say to the president, and I've said this in a lot of my interviews, I actually strengthened his hand by requiring members to show up instead of letting Pelosi pass a bill with nobody there. That would have been a really dangerous precedent because she's said this bill's just a down payment. Imagine if she passed the down payment with everybody at home. And then we get three, four weeks into this and she, she makes good on her threat to, on, to pass a fourth bill. Then there's no, then it would be even harder for our leadership. And, and for President Trump to oppose the fourth bill, if the default 
understanding was that she could pass it with nobody in the chamber. I've actually, I really believe, put a fire stop here that, that, will, that will help President Trump. Massey represents a very Republican district, so any political consequences would come in the GOP primary, which has been rescheduled to June 23rd. Attorney Todd McMurtry is taking on Massey, so we'll be watching to see how he's going to use Trump's comments against him. Trump has considerable sway in Republican primaries, but some Kentucky Republicans I've talked to have cautioned that libertarian voters in the district are also loyal to Massey, and he'll be tough to beat. Back to you, Sean. And finally tonight, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention may change its guidance about wearing a mask, even if you are not sick. Experts are now mulling over whether even homemade masks may prevent the spread of COVID-19. That's our CQ on Congress coronavirus special report for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with the latest. For all of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Sean Zeller.